Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So it's been a bit of a rough week. I'm just going to dig into a bit of this because I have mentioned it on Twitter a bit and things like that and I just wanted to explain what's been going on just in case anybody's concerned or anything like that and you know a little bit of a story to tell. So um, anybody who's not interested in my little story about my chaotic week, feel free to skip ahead. If you uh, have a look in the description, you'll see when the the timestamps are and you can get into the first topic. But yeah, basically, it hasn't really been the best run of luck for me, really, this last um, this last year or so. And that has continued, unfortunately, with the car accident that I had. Um, so basically, very snowy, stormy here in the UK. And what happened was... I was driving my car back to my house after work and um, ready for a nice relaxing evening after a long day at work, which certainly didn't end up being the way that it played out. Um, and it had been snowing and icy and so on. And I kind of got to my driveway. My driveway is on a slope. So obviously, um, kind of ready to drive up onto my drive like I usually do. Uh, bearing in mind, I've driven up onto that driveway when it's been icy, snowy, about 20 or 30 times, and it's never been an issue. Um, this particular time, uh, it was a little bit of snow on the drive, so I, I jumped out at the bottom of the drive and cleared the snow on foot and then got back in the car and uh, drove up onto the driveway, stopped the car, put the handbrake on, did what I usually do, stepped out of the vehicle opened the driver's side door obviously stepped out it was only me in the vehicle and uh sort of uh just as i stood up and had a look around the the car started to slide back down the driveway um and as i say i've just never experienced that when i'm driving along and you stop on a hill even if it's a fairly steep hill in snow i've never known my car to start sliding backwards so i just didn't expect it so big long estate car um what do they call them in the US? Um, station wagon, so a long, heavy car, you know, sliding down this hill with uh, me basically trapped between the car and my hedge 
and the driver's side door is open and that's obviously sliding towards me as well it's sort of an instinctive reaction of well, what the hell am i going to do jumps back into the car so i jumped back into the driver's seat and at uh, that moment i just start wrestle the steering wheel and put the brakes on and make sure the handbrake's firmly on which it was and everything like that and the car's obviously still sliding uh, managed to get the car under control this all happened obviously in the blink of an eye um you know but it, it sort of um it, you know it was over in a flash kind of thing but basically what had happened was um as i've got in the vehicle and stopped it from sliding back into the road thankfully there was nobody behind the car there was nobody else with me at the time and there was no cars or anybody walking underneath where the car was sliding into very luckily but what had happened is somehow just an unbelievably bad luck situation a a tiny uh, branch off the hedge had got stuck in one of the crevices within the door of the car which obviously i hadn't had a chance to close so it was still open as it was sliding back and i wouldn't have thought that a hedge would be strong enough to even do this but the hedge had got jammed into a crevice of the door and then as the car has slid back obviously the door's been stuck onto the hedge and uh, the door has basically snapped back there's this horrific sound of like bending metal um, as the door, uh, you know, kind of gets uh, jammed back the wrong way, crumples the door, crumples all of the metal wing over the top of my uh, front driver side uh, wheel and completely um, mangles the hinge that the door is actually attached onto. And yeah, it wasn't a particularly pleasant experience. But, you know, at the end of the day... Um, you've just got to be thankful i have insurance so um which you have to have in the uk it's a legal requirement um so it is covered under my insurance um but it was a very unpleasant experience so when i've talked about uh, that i had a car accident on twitter or something like that that's what it was there was no injuries i didn't get hurt which i was very lucky because in that split second of jumping back into the car if i hadn't have done that the car would have been sliding down towards me, potentially knocked me over and trapped me under the door or anything could have happened. Or I could have just, if I'd have reached out, I was thinking about this this morning, if I'd have reached out to grab the door and try to close it and got my hand stuck in between the hedge and the door or something like that, could have really badly hurt my hand, you know. So just got to be thankful that everything's absolutely fine. It was a real nightmare trying to sort out the insurance because all the insurance companies were really busy because of this storm but anyway um things are getting fixed it's covered by my insurance um it's a hefty excess that i have to pay but at the end of the day it could be a lot worse that moment that five seconds of me doing that um my hedge doing that to the door of the vehicle uh, has basically cost around about five thousand pounds worth of damage to the car so yeah pretty shocking grim experience but just thankful that it wasn't a lot worse uh, and then that was all followed up by about two days after that i got really ill again from some kind of bug that uh, i picked up off my um my, my daughter probably got it from her nursery once again as you probably if you've heard the podcast recently i've had a few illnesses like that so and then i was uh, flat out in bed for about three or four days uh, recovering from that and i literally got back to work uh, yesterday and managed to kind of get back to normality a little bit so yeah i just wanted to mention that because as i say I'd, I'd posted on twitter something about it and i didn't want people to be worried i thought it was worth going into the what happened 
and uh, also uh, it explains why I've not done any of these recent events episodes because uh, obviously I've not I've not been able to to get my head in the game as as it were. So having said that, um, let's dig into some recent events. But these are going to be recent, but not very recent, if you will. Um, now the thing is, a lot of this happened a couple of weeks ago, um, but. I think it's still worth going into. It's still going to be interesting to talk about anyway. And I don't do these as breaking news type of episodes anyway. So it'll still be interesting to go through it and and, uh, try and make sense of what's been going on. So uh, with all of that said, we're going to dig into it in in a second. Uh, But another quick thing I wanted to mention is obviously the last week has been news social media everything has been completely dominated by the russia and ukraine crisis and um, which is uh, right rightly so because it's a you know a, a really important um horrible thing that's taking place in the world at the moment i'm not really going to discuss it in too much detail but i just wanted to sort of send out you know prayers and best wishes for anybody caught up in that horrible situation and um, because it, it really is horrific to see something like that impacting you know europe in 2022 and um, so like i say i'm not going to go into it too much but for that reason the 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 russia ukraine crisis that's been happening over this last week i haven't really seen a great deal of of ufo uap and uh, news events and things happening even a lot of the people who normally post about those kind of things uh, have been posting about the russia ukraine stuff so this last week there's not been a great deal going on so the things i'm about to talk about are really kind of going to be more the things that happened a couple of weeks ago that I didn't get a chance to record on and I actually went through and made notes about these things but I didn't do an episode because of what happened so anyway let's get actually get into some of that then so the first thing is uh, Lou Elizondo on Jimmy Church now there was a few interesting bits in there obviously Lou Elizondo does interviews all the time everywhere you know so um you can't go into a a vast amount of detail about every Lou Elizondo interview, but in the Jimmy Church one, there was a few bits that I thought were quite interesting that was worth mentioning. Just quickly before I get into that as well, I would really love to speak to Lou Elizondo on the podcast. Um, I've tried to reach out through various um, emails that I thought were the right email for Lou Elizondo, but they basically bounce back into my inbox. Um, I don't really know how to go about contacting Lou Elizondo at this stage. He doesn't have a publicly available email address as far as I know. Um, I've tried tweeting to him a couple of times, but obviously Lou's a very busy guy. Um, So I just wanted to throw it out there to the audience because I'm sure you guys who listen, obviously by this point there's quite a fair amount of listeners to the podcast. So I'm sure you guys would like to have some questions asked to Lou Elizondo and and probably would you know, perhaps like me to speak to, to Lou as well on the show. So if anyone's got any ideas fire away you know give me the ideas because i'm all out of ideas to, to get lou on the show at this stage and um, if anyone you know perhaps tweet to lou elizondo and make the suggestion that would be great and um, or if anybody just knows any way that you might be able to get in contact with him uh, that would also be great as well i've tried getting in, in touch with skyfort that lou is um, associated with and, and not had any luck on that front either and um, but yeah i think um it would be great to speak to lou 
So hopefully we'll get that sorted out at some point. That's kind of a goal for this year is to get Lou Elizondo on the podcast. Um, but just aside from that, there's going to be a lot of guests coming up as well. I've had some great shows over the last week or two um, that I recorded before all of the madness started happening. Um, so if anybody has missed them, definitely check them out. Um, there was a, a really cool one with uh, um, DJ from Calling All Beings which I really enjoyed. That was a great chat. Um, DJ such a cool guy, very knowledgeable, um, you know, Air Force veteran from, from the US Air Force, uh, pilot, and he had some really interesting insights into the extent about reverse engineering, and I thought um, his points were really interesting there, and it's kind of changed my viewpoint on a few things, actually. It made me, give me a lot of food for thought, so that one's worth a listen. And also, I did a, anyone who's interested in Havana Syndrome and that side of things, uh, I did another episode with Frank Milburn as well on Havana Syndrome in case anybody's missed it. So well, well worth going checking them out. As well as Ash and Greg from uh, the Pursuit of the Paranormal uh, podcast as well. Those guys are uh, really cool guys. Um, Ash put on the UFO Minicon and he runs UFO Identified uh, in the UK, which is a great organisation that compiles UFO reports and things. So recommend going checking those out as well. Uh, but anyway, let's crack on with this. So Lou Elizondo and Jimmy Church. So I think with Lou Elizondo, there's always that danger um, that you know somebody like Lou who has to walk very carefully, close to a line of, of breaking his NDA and whatnot. He always kind of leaves room for people interpreting what he says, uh, and that's through no fault of his own because he kind of has to approach things like that. Obviously, Lou's mentioned many times in the past that he can't break his NDA and he's got that he's, the oaths that he spawn to the country and whatnot. So you, you can't blame him for talking the way that he does. But unfortunately, the side effects of that is that it, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. Now, obviously, Lou Elizondo knows a lot more than the average person on the street would know. But the extent of how much more Lou Elizondo actually knows is open to interpretation. He surely knows a lot more than I do, you know, which is like I say, why I'd love to speak to him. And I'd also like to ask him a lot about what the extent of what he knows actually is and so on. But obviously, you know, if that happens, that's something I'll definitely do. But the problem there is, I think sometimes people can read a lot into what Luella Zondo says and, you know, things that he mentions can be perhaps taken a bit too far and, and so on. And he mentioned something about Antarctica. People automatically assume that there's a base under the Antarctic, for example, whereas it's not necessarily that simple. You know, there may be certain things that he says that are speculation, informed speculation, and some of it might be uninformed speculation. And obviously, he does so many interviews, there is inevitably going to be some speculation come out in the things that he says. And it it's one of them things where not everything is a breadcrumb, you know? Obviously, Lou talks very carefully and he's aware that people read things in and he definitely does drop breadcrumbs, but at the same time, sometimes he does make comments perhaps that are just unguarded comments where he feels comfortable in a conversation and he does do a bit of speculation as well. So it's a fine line to walk when you're looking for breadcrumbs in Lou Elizondo's uh, interviews. But I think... You know, sometimes it works the other way where he mentions something and again, people see a bit of an opening to criticise Lou Elizondo, you know, perhaps if they already suspect him of, of various things and they see it as an opening to kind of attack him for it or whatever. Now, when I say it works the other way, I mean, sometimes people think 
you know, on the one hand, Lou Elizondo has got all the answers, which is I don't think is the right way to look at it because even Lou himself has said that he doesn't have all the answers. He said that numerous times, especially early on in his in his earlier interviews. Um, but then again, on the other hand, there are people who think that he doesn't have any answers and he's talking complete nonsense and whatnot, and, and that's the, the other side of it that I'm talking about. So the reason that I say that is because I think that's kind of what happened here with the NSA article that Lou had mentioned on Jimmy Church. Now, again, this is kind of blown over by this point, but I thought it was worth digging into. I made the notes on it and I didn't get to talk about it at the time. So while Lou Elizondo was on the Jimmy Church show, he mentions an article that had been released recently, which talks about another article um, which had been written by the NSA, which is on the deciphering signals coming from an extraterrestrial intelligence. Now, there are a number of problems with that that, that people picked up on. Uh, on about that particular news article and and a lot some certain people used it as an excuse to kind of criticize Lou and, and, and jump on him for uh, you know spreading false material or whatever it might be basically the article that Lou is talking about was in the Sun newspaper which is a very mainstream publication however it's a publication that's not got a very good reputation for factual reporting shall we say it's a tabloid newspaper in the UK. So straight away, people started slating Lou for referring to an article that's in the Sun. Now, first of all, Lou is not from the UK. So he may not even realise the extent of the criticism that that publication receives. Now, obviously, you know, he probably is aware, being quite a, a, a well-up guy on, on the way that the UAP topic is, is portrayed in the media. He probably does have, a, have an awareness of it to an extent, but I don't think the nuance is that clear if you're not from the UK. Like, for example, I know about most of the US publications, but there's probably certain nuances about those publications. Like, people talk about Tucker Carlson, and, oh, he's a terrible person. I don't really know because I don't watch that channel on a day-to-day -day basis, so you don't build up the big picture. And it could be the same with Lou Elizondo with The Sun. You know, at the end of the day, he doesn't live in the UK. So you don't see that unfolding on a sort of day-to-day -day, uh, basis. But more to the point, I think what he's actually talking about is the fact that a mainstream newspaper ran with that headline and did that report in the first place. You know, people are saying things like, you know, he's, he's, he's talking about an article in the sun, yeah, that's ridiculous, you know, or the actual uh, article itself turned out to be some kind of uh, quiz or light-hearted thing uh, that um, a few people, John Greenwald from the Black Vault uh, talked about this and uh, a bunch of other people kind of who, who are regular criticisers of, of Lou Elizondo uh, jumped on board and used it as a bit of an excuse to, to slate him, which I don't think is fair um, because I think the point that Lou was actually trying to make was not necessarily to vouch for the credibility of the article or anything along those lines, but it was more a case of just saying how the climate has changed now to the point where mainstream news organisations are willing to run articles like that in the first place to their mainstream audience. And I think that was actually the point he was making there, rather than this NSA article is groundbreaking, it has to do with the NSA, um, you know, trying to decipher real messages from extraterrestrials and things i took it from listening to the interview with jimmy church as being a, 
the loose point was it's a marker of how much things have changed and that's got to be a good thing but people uh, obviously tried to pick holes in it as usual and i think what that kind of highlights really in a way is is the the need for organizations like uap media uk who do really good work informing reporters coming from a place of good knowledge within the topic so here we're talking about an article apparently written within internal CIA groups, which was essentially like a puzzle. Um, it's not talking about a program which ran to attempt to actually pick up signals from extraterrestrial civilizations and decode them. It's, it's more of a fun exercise, almost like a quiz. Now, whether Lou Elizondo knew that or whether you know whether he just caught a glimpse of it and saw fit to mention it on the show i don't know but i think his main point was that the climate has changed to the point where the mainstream news organization would run an article like that and i think like i say people have used it and, and jumped on it but as i said with with the uap media uk thing i know uap media uk have actually worked on a few articles uh with the sun and, and sort of been a consultancy agency if you like to actually help out with getting the facts right and perhaps they didn't do that in this particular case because i think the article itself was um making it out to be a bit more of an important thing than uh, it actually was but yeah they, like i say it highlights the need for groups like uap media uk to help the media to actually get the facts right on these things because it's really difficult to come from the outside if you're not deep in the ufo topic it's really hard to to figure out what's going on with certain things and get to the facts and all of the different acronyms involved and all the different names and faces it's very tough and organizations like uap media uk are invaluable in that regard now lou does also mention as well though off the back of that point the possibility of looking at organizations that you may not expect like the nsa and he actually mentions the Coast Guard as well, which made me think. And I think, you know, perhaps I'm guilty of doing what I was talking about earlier here, trying to read too much into things that Luella Zondo has, has said. Um, you know, we all do it at the end of the day. But it did make me think that, that if you could find data, perhaps, from systems that the Coast Guard itself has got in some of these UFO hotspots, such as the Catalina Islands or the East Coast, where these things um apparently seen on a day-to-day -day basis would it be possible to perhaps find evidence from the coast guard sensor systems if they even have sensor systems i don't really know i presume maybe they do um which may be not classified as well because it's the coast guard you know it's not necessarily a sensitive defense capability or something and I think it seems to almost be a bit of a part of the new approach of Lou and Chris, which is to open up some other areas now of investigation outside of just the Navy. So obviously that started with the US Air Force with Chris's uh, article, which really stirred the pot. And now it seems to be a bit of a mention of the Coast Guard here and there as well. Breadcrumbs, in my opinion, of, of areas that you might want to look at when you're thinking outside of the box when it comes to trying to find data on UAP. There may be plenty of organisations that you might not expect that may be holding data, and they might not even realise it. Like if you've got some kind of sensor capabilities, like the Coast Guard, for example, they may be looking at objects in the sea to detect any objects that move like a human. 
um, in, in distress in case they need to rescue somebody and the AI that operates that system might be disregarding anything that zips around like a tic tac for example but if you trawl through those records you might be able to find some interesting information in there and I'm I'm definitely going to be looking into that myself and I would encourage anybody else to do the same eh? and we'll, we'll see what we can find and that doesn't just go for the Coast Guard but the NSA obviously being mentioned there you know is there any areas within that you know there's a lot of big organizations that hold a lot of data and it has made me think about whether there's any of those organizations holding data that might actually pertain to UAP and uh, little you know veins that can be mined uh, information uh, can be can be uh, found in, in some areas that you might not expect but anyway I'm not going to go into too much more detail on that, but another thing that had happened, uh, which was quite interesting, was Tim McMillan was on that UFO podcast, and uh, he was asked about the, well, he was talking about many things, actually, really interesting comments that he made on there, but in particular, what I wanted to focus on today is the comments about UFO baiting. Now, regular listeners will probably remember that I talked about this a little while ago and there was an article which had been written about it by the Hermatic pen Penetrator and I was talking about how Ross Coltart and Tim Millen, uh, McMillan had mentioned that they had heard from sources that the US government had been actively baiting UAP for, for decades and that's, that's how Ross Coltart puts it. And, and Tim had said that an area that researchers should be looking at is anti-neutrinos and the NGA world map of anti-neutrino concentration. So I'd also looked into it a bit and found out that an anti-neutrino is a particle which is very, very tiny that can pass through solid matter and is basically released by radioactive material. So you have neutrinos and anti-neutrinos. Uh, and I was going through this on a, a podcast a while ago, um, that anti-neutrinos are so tiny and they move so fast, they can, one anti-neutrino can pass through the entire Earth. Um, you know, like they can move through solid objects and things, which is quite interesting. Uh, because there's been some mention about UAP potentially being able to move through solid objects and the slide nine thing. But anyway, um, we'll come back to that in a bit more detail uh, some other time. But it's um, it's also released by nuclear power stations, nuclear powered submarines and nuclear powered carriers and anything with, with nuclear material involved. So the question is, was the anti-neutrino concentration a byproduct of the propulsion system of the vessels or was it potentially being generated by a device which actually releases high concentrations of anti-neutrinos to specifically bait UAP? Now, this was something that I'd emailed Andy to ask him um, and he did ask that question. I think he'd also had a few other requests from other people as well. It was, it was something that a few people wanted to hear about. And what Tim actually said was that he doesn't necessarily know the extent of it, but he was more mentioning it uh, to throw it out there to UFO Twitter as a means of encouraging people to go down that path of research. And Tim had mentioned that one of the reasons this technology is being developed is to be able to detect nuclear submarines from an adversary or 
any any vessel that has nuclear capabilities are indeed nuclear weapons because if you can detect antineutrinos you can also then detect nuclear powered submarines for example very very accurately and very very precisely so apparently that is one of the main reasons that antineutrino detection is even a thing because i had thought that myself like why would they bother i mean maybe it's just out of curiosity but it seems a lot of effort to go to to try and detect this particle that you can't even see what's the purpose of it and apparently that is the purpose of why they even try to detect anti-neutrinos in the first place because it would allow you to potentially be able to detect nuclear powered vehicles vessels and you know aircraft and so on whatever it might be anything that has any kind of nuclear material on board and that does make you think about whether behind closed doors they've been working on this anti-neutrino detection, which is extremely classified, and perhaps they stumbled on a way of developing anti-neutrinos in high concentrations in order to be able to test the detection equipment. Uh, and perhaps this is just pure—this uh, is pure speculation. But perhaps that led to an occurrence of UAP in the area where the anti-neutrino creation device was, you know possibly i mean or it may just as i said be just in general vehicles that actually give off these anti-neutrinos accidentally um, attracted uap and that they just carried on using those particular vehicles and monitoring them because they knew there was a higher likelihood of an occurrence happening around that vehicle uh, we don't know but it's interesting to consider but another side note here is i've kind of wondered about the products and day-to-day items which may have radioactivity in particular for example like certain wristwatches have radioactive glow on the dials um, and i've wondered about whether it might be worth looking into people with abduction experiences or people who have sightings of ufos as to whether there might be any correlation there between some radioactive wristwatch or you know the occurrence of uh, an abduction or a sighting again it's all speculation but it's just an area that i thought might be quite interesting to look into and um, now you might be thinking oh they don't put radioactive material on watches anymore but actually they do and um, there's there's various different types of uh, watches that you can get that still actually use little tubes um, of radioactive material within the dial because it is still the best uh, way of actually being able to light up a dial and yeah I've just quickly googled it there it's actually called tritium so you get these little tubes of tritium which is uh, is uh, little tubes that glow for decades and they're very very bright very distinctive green color and you don't need sunlight to actually uh, make them uh, glow i'm actually quite a big fan of watches i like watches and uh, i'm not lucky enough to own very many posh ones or anything uh, but yeah I, I like looking at watches and so on and learning about them and tritium is is something that watches have for example anybody who wants to find out a good example of this is marathon marathon wrist watches marathon are a company that make really hardcore watches for the u.s uh, military and uh, their loom that they use is tritium tubes because it's the most reliable it's the most long lasting and you don't need sunlight to charge it and um, so it's really really clear bright loom on the dial uh, so I'd, i've thought about whether it's possible 
that wristwatches again some of the old abduction cases you're talking about a totally different class of, uh, of of loom on the dials because they literally were radioactive and turned out to be very dangerous um, and and in some cases you know the people who uh, that's a whole other topic but the, the people who worked in the factories painting this loom onto the dials ended up getting really severe radiation poisoning from it i think that was radium if i'm not mistaken uh, but yeah, so I mean, there could be some interesting correlations there with people who used to wear old school wristwatches, um, or there could be other items. Like I, I remember reading, I'm not sure how accurate this is, but I remember reading that bananas are very, very mildly radioactive. <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that, people. I might have got, I might have made that up. It's been a tough week, but um, you know, whether or not there are other very, very mildly radioactive items that could be somehow linked in again it's a bit of a it's a bit of a stretch but just a thought that might be interesting uh, to look into but as i say there, there may be other more realistic avenues to go down as well just like for example are there areas that of the of the world that have a natural radioactivity within uh, geological features for example skinwalker ranch and um, you know the the specific type of rock there may give off a certain type of radiation which might be common to other sites around the world you know things like that interesting areas to delve into which i'll i'll be trying to dig into whenever i can uh, in other news the uh, the guys from uh, the expedition to um columbia are now back safely home which is great to hear and from the looks of things they had a great time out there they've been posting updates that's vinnie uh, vinnie adams who i had on the show quite recently and uh, dan co-host of that ufo podcast the signal on twitter and i am so excited for that documentary and um, from the looks of things i wouldn't imagine that they have seen a ufo out there like really clearly and got hd footage of it because i, I would imagine um we would have heard a bit more about it if they had but it sounds like it's going to be a really interesting documentary anyway phenomenology and i'm really looking forward to watching it it sounds like a, an absolute winner can't wait to see the progress and hear more about what they've managed to find and, and dig up out there and it's just great to see a couple of guys from the uk really representing you know the ufo topic in the uk in such a good way two great ambassadors for the ufo topic in the uk andy and dan so wonderful to see and that leads me nicely on to james fox's new movie uh, which is um, now actually been given a name which is moment of contact and this is uh, obviously following up on the amazing uh, f phenomenon by james fox which basically set the tone and really ignited my interest a combination of that film and dave fravor coming out and the new york times article and the actual series unidentified and a few other things around that time really sort of set the tone for me on how i was going to look into this topic because the approach of you know those various things that i've just mentioned really resonated with me in an area that really nothing in the ufo topic had, had done in the past and I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, but I was obviously really excited to hear that, that, that James Fox is working on this new film. And, and as he mentions in the Jimmy Church interview that he did, another Jimmy Church interview there, 
Um, this film is not going to be eight years in the making like uh, the previous one was because it's due out at the end of 2022. So now we've got a title, moment of contact, and we we know roughly when it's going to be out. There are sometimes delays with these things, so you know we can't guarantee that it's going to be out before the end of 2022, but it would be great if it is. And um, I think it's a fantastic title, that moment of contact, and uh, looking forward to seeing it. And what it's all about, which I've not mentioned just now, is the 1996 Virginia-Brazil case. Now, this isn't a case that I've really had my deep dive into uh, so far, but it is a case that I've heard the name of many times. And I've kind of been, I mentioned on the podcast before that I'm sort of waiting for the the documentary to come out before I do my deep dive into it. But I may end up doing a deep dive into it before it comes out and then sort of use the film to compare and contrast what I've been able to find. That I think that would probably be a more interesting way to do it. So I think that's probably what I'm going to do. So this isn't a deep dive, but just to give you a little overview of what actually happened, the basically it's all about a series of events that happened in 1996 where various people in Virginia, Brazil, I think I'm saying that right, is spelt, if anyone wants to Google it, it's spelt V-A-R-G-I-N-H-A. So it sounds like Virginia, but it's Virginia, I think. I'm not, <laughs> look, my, my Brazilian pronunciation's not the best, but you get the idea anyway of whatever what it is. And basically there was more than one um, strange creatures uh, reported and at least one UFO sighting. So we're talking about actual entities, actual beings here. Sometimes you see UFO, people see UFOs in the sky. Sometimes there's crashes and rumors of bodies. But this is one of those cases where people actually saw a creature. And uh, basically, it was uh, a creature was sighted by three women and they allegedly saw this creature which walked on two legs, had a very large head and a thin body um, with apparently some kind of brown skin and uh, large red eyes and apparently was in some kind of trouble, looked like it was either injured or it was it was sick or something. They were terrified of it, thought they'd seen the devil and so on. But um, there was a lot of other really interesting things like a strong smell of ammonia in, in the place where uh, the, the creature was allegedly seen and... and um, Apparently, a couple of days after this, another creature was allegedly found lying on a road and there was military trucks actually sent to uh, retrieve this body and then there were other similar sightings reported by other people and uh, apparently there was a zoo nearby where there was a creature reported at the zoo and then months later, some of the animals in the zoo actually died. Um as I say, I've not done a deep dive, but from what you can see there, from what I've just mentioned, it sounds pretty intense. So that's definitely one I'm going to be doing a deep dive into. But as I say, it's just a case of with the those those uh, various different documentaries and, and films and things that I mentioned earlier, any of those that anybody has not seen, I would really thoroughly recommend checking them out because it's, it's really... Uh, th- there's a lot of different paths you can take in the ufo topic and they kind of to me pretty much summarize 
the best stuff you know there's like dodgy ufo channels on youtube where they, they show clips that are not really well very well verified and there's the kind of you know clickbaity ones where it's like wow shock horror we found an alien and then you, you actually watch the video and it turns out it's nothing of the sort and you know all that sort of stuff it's just for years it turned me off the whole topic um and you know then there's the whole thing of people who claim to have been actually been in contact with the galactic federations and they know all the secrets of the universe and stuff like mate no you don't what are you talking about it's nonsense you know but these documentaries that i'm on about here set the tone for like wow okay this is something i can get my teeth into you know and that's going back to what i was saying that's the the phenomenon document uh, documentary slash film kind of thing the series unidentified and um those are really kind of the main things that really kicked everything off for me and, and made me take a lot lot more seriously and i was like a lot of people really you know just getting on with my life doing my job paying my bills and looking into different various hobbies and find new things that are interesting in life and i think a lot of people if you could really get their honest opinion they would probably love to know what's going on with ufos and i just thought you know what what would happen if i just started really looking into it and it just so happened that I stumbled across the the phenomenon movie and the the series unidentified at the right time, um, and and it, it was enough to kind of really spark something for me. And it's like somebody on Twitter recently said something that people in ufology remind remind this the person who posted it of of pro wrestling fans. I'm not going to name the person because they might not want to be named, but I thought that was a really funny comment initially and then it kind of opened up a deeper train of thought it's like you know my interest in ufos and the mystery of the ufo phenomenon goes way deeper than just wanting some interesting stories to tickle your fancy you know and i think some people just want to be madly entertained you know some people want to just click on a clickbait video like whoa you know this is cool you know whatever but it's like the pro wrestling thing the way that that works in my head is pro wrestling fans like wwe fans they're willing to kind of use a bit of a partial blinder to kind of mask the fact that what they're watching is not actually real and that's you know precisely the reason i could never really get excited about pro wrestling because it's not actually real you know it's it's scripted and the, the people aren't really punching each other and doing wrestling moves you know fair enough they've got a lot of athleticism and all the rest of it not knocking it anybody who's interested in it fair play but for me it was all kind of a big charade you know and as interesting as the characters are you know as well as the thought out storylines and all the rest of it. it might be thrilling you know to watch the action and whatnot it's not actually real now i'm a big mma fan personally i know a lot of people you know especially in the ufo community are not necessarily that interested in mma and don't think there's much of a crossover there between the world of mixed martial arts and the world of ufos but what i find interesting about mixed martial arts aside from the fact that i've actually practiced muay thai kickboxing for many years now and it's really helped me with discipline and respect and fitness and whatnot um you know it's helped help me through some dark times in my life but i think mma is 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 undeniably real you know i always remember watching martial arts movies when i was younger and you know that kind of thing of the flying swan stance and all these type of secret touch of death and whatnot you know does that actually work is it is it real 
and and in mixed martial arts you literally have one martial art competing against another martial art with very limited rules and you see what actually works now as i said i'm not going to go on about that because i know it's not everybody's cup of tea but that's something that really appeals to me because it's real you know and funnily enough there are many people within you know fans of martial arts movie and the mythology of certain martial artists who are willing to suspend that reason that logic in order to believe in a certain mythical martial arts method however the the big difference with mixed martial arts you know is that there is no room for bs it's just a case of it either works or it doesn't and that kind of way of thinking to an extent has kind of informed my thinking on the ufo topic it's like it's either real or it's not i'm not willing to suspend logic and reason at all i just want to know what's actually going on i don't want to be entertained i want to know what's the truth you know and i'm not saying like i've got the best approach in the world or anything but it's just that's the way i think about things and the the phenomenon movie by james fox definitely appealed to me in that way because it seemed to be actually suspending all the nonsense and really wanting to find out what's going on and it's like that with a lot of things like remote viewing you know like abductions you know obviously it's interesting to hear all these different accounts and stuff but you want to know the actual truth at the real heart of it all you know and so yeah obviously i was really excited to hear that that, that james fox was working on this new movie and we'll see we'll see how that all goes when it when it comes to the time of, of the movie's release so that's about all we've got time for for today's episode so this is um great to be back in action and uh, i apologize apologize for the slight delay uh, on, on getting this one out but hopefully you found it interesting to listen to anyway and um i'm going to have some great stuff coming up on the podcast uh, this month i'm really excited actually we've got some we've got another voices of the community uh, that i'm going to be talking to someone from that i've met on ufo twitter i think that'll be a really interesting one uh, i've got uh, chris leto is going to be back on the show again in a, in a couple of weeks to talk about the nimitz case specifically and really dig into some finer details and try and get chris's um pilot's perspective it's kind of part of a, a re a re-dig into the nimitz case really because i had a dj on we were talking about the nimitz case and the tic tac and um that that was kind of the beginning of it and we're going to continue that with uh with chris leto being back on and, and getting more of that kind of pilot's perspective and the, the show that me and chris are going to do is going to be basically all about the nimitz case so that should be really interesting doing that this week so it'll be out probably over the next couple of weeks and uh, on top of that dave smethurst is going to be joining me for another episode Um, that's going to be discussing something that i'm not going to go into i'll leave it as a bit of a surprise but that should be an interesting one and i also recorded an episode um just before all the chaos happened this week with uh, nick gadman which is going into the the more kind of strange and bizarre woo type of um experiences that nick has had obviously he wouldn't mind me saying that he describes it as such himself uh, and we had a really good chat about all those kind of experiences the the strange and, and high strangeness type of experiences that accompanied some of his nuts and bolts sightings so that would be uh, that's going to be out over the next couple of weeks as well so plenty of really exciting stuff to come out there as well as the usual recent events episodes that i'm going to keep going with so until next time guys take it easy stay curious and i will catch you in the next episode
UFO Thinker Podcast. Podcast.